Welcome to the Happy in the Mess podcast. This is a podcast that we started because we noticed that the pandemic made humaning quite challenging. Um, and we wanted to offer observations, uh, conversations, and advice from, from our standpoint as mental health counselors, as well as coaches. Uh, so we have three of us here. Sherry Timko is our couples relationship coach, Marlena Del Hierro our dating and relationship coach, um, and myself, Matthew Morgan, and I am the misfit coach. Uh, so today we wanna to start off talking about emotional unavailability, what to do when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't reciprocate those emotions that you give. But before we jump into it, I wanted to give everybody a chance to introduce themselves. So you have an idea of just who the heck we are. Uh, so Sherry, if you'd like to start and introduce yourself. Hi, this is so exciting. Our first episode here. I'm Sherry Timko. I'm a couples relationship coach. I help uh, couples who've been together for a while, seasoned couples who find themselves disappointed or in roommate syndrome and help them release that so that they can rekindle the love between them. Yeah, and I'm Marlena, and I am a, a spiritual dating coach, and I help single people stop dating, dating with desperation and start draw, drawing in love effortlessly, So, and that they learn how to have peace in the waiting and trust that their person's on their way. That's awesome. Very cool. And I'm Matthew Morgan, and I coach misfits, people who are neurodivergent, um, ADHD, highly sensitive um, a lot of times just people who don't fit in with their environment. I really focus too on people who are spiritual um, and are trying to find out how to forge their own path through that. And so I really try to speak to some of those points. So, um, and it's just amazing that the three of us got together. We're all at different random points, different locations. And yet here we are. Um, and it's been awesome getting to know both of you through the course of uh, everything that we've been doing. So. Mm -hmm. We decided, obviously, as we started this, we wanted to pick parts that were really uh, things that were really important to to people, to help them reengage, to help them talk to people, um, and just stuff that we've gleaned. Um, and so, one of the things we picked to start off was emotional unavailability. Um, so, I guess I want to throw it out there: is how do we define emotional availability? All right. Well, I think about emotional un availability is um, not being attuned with another person or not being um, not not reading their emotions, not being connected with those emotions. And I really see it having three different parts to types to it. The first is um, not having those skills to begin with. So maybe you grew up and you didn't learn how to be emotionally available. Uh, the second type is uh, that you just don't have the bandwidth to. So maybe you have the skills, but there's so much going on, so much stress that you're just kind of shut down. Um, and I think a lot of us experience that in the pandemic. And the third type being um, someone who actually like puts a wall there. They have the skills. It's not about bandwidth. It's more about choice. Mm. That's really interesting, Sherry, that you define it in those three categories. I definitely have experience um, with the first two, I guess, and the third, I would consider that like a boundary. For some reason, someone's intentionally putting up a boundary in order not to uh, absorb or give. That's how I see it anyway. But I like your definition. I would add to it maybe respond like a lack of responsiveness, just how we see it showing up is like, 
I've just shared something with you and I've received nothing validating in return, nothing saying those emotions are real. Yes. It, clearly you're having a hard time. There's no like actual verbal or even physical. Cause sometimes like it's a hug that's a validating to someone's experience with their emotions. But, um, other times it's just hearing someone else say words that pertain to what I've just said. And so, yeah, a lack of responsiveness. Yeah. Or eye contact or mm. facial expression that says All I'm right there with you. Yes. I hear you. I heard what you said. I, yeah. I I'm, I'm present. I'm present to what you're sharing. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. Being able to communicate and be attuned to somebody else and, and really connected in seems like that's the, the core of all of this, uh, however we choose to do that. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Marlena, for you, is there, is there a way that you've seen emotional availability show up in, in your circles? And Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I noticed, um, I'd like to just give a personal example, um, a couple of personal examples in my own life that I've seen how emotional, where I've had what Sherry calls like no bandwidth for it. And then when I practiced it, but sort of thought it wasn't really enough. Um, so when I was a, a chaplain doing my internship at the hospital, um, in North Carolina, you, they would call, they would call what we were doing oftentimes the ministry of presence and, how it was simply enough sometimes to go to patients' rooms and just sit with them and their family and allow them to talk about their pain or their suffering or what's going on. What I've often noticed is that people didn't really want to discuss their health and their illness while they were in the hospital. They wanted to talk about their relationships. And so I ended up getting into these very deep conversations around their relationships and what was going on in their family and their loved ones. It was just uh, a really, and I'd be like, I'm not helping them. Like, what am I doing? But like that, that ministry of presence was so crucial actually for them to feel not lonely in the hospital. So many people feel so lonely in the hospital. So I got to be emotionally available for my patients. Um, and another story, when I became a chaplain at a different place, um, I noticed that I had zero emotional availability after I've given it all away at the hospital. I had zero left for anybody in my personal life. And I'd come home and I remember having a roommate at the time who was very a sensitive soul. And um, she, she would sometimes burst into tears or cry. And I could not be there for her. I was like, I don't have the capacity to deal with another person who's sensitive right now. <laughs> so um, I just wasn't the best roommate. And I realized I, I couldn't give it all away here and not have any over here. I had no balance. So that's one way that I sh- I've seen that it's shown up for me or not shown up. Or not, yeah. I like that. Even that concept that you just threw out there of, you know, not, not taking this as an, as a constant state, right? Like, like a lot, of, even as I was formulating this, my thought was um, you're emotionally available or you're an unavailable person, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very binary thing, but I like what you just said too, of this is sometimes it's a temporary state. Sometimes it's the fact that we have given so much that, that we just don't have any more to, to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My emotions mm-hmm. were tapped out by mm-hmm. the time I came home sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe it. I believe it. Sherry, is that what you see as well with the work that you do? Well, I'm going to actually piggyback on Marlena's story. Um, I work kind of crunched. So I'll see a lot of of clients on Monday and Tuesday. And so sometimes by the time I get home on Tuesday, I, I just have too many voices in my head and I cannot attune to anybody, not my kids, not my husband. I'll try a little bit, but everyone kind of understands. So I've actually done some adjusting 
so that that actually works well in my life. I get home about the time everybody's going to bed Tuesday night. And that means that we have just a little bit of talking to kind of pass information, but there's not that expectation that I'm going to be present for my family members. But it also, since it's a timing issue, it doesn't feel like I've checked out and I'm saying I can't, I just, because that's what it feels like. I just can't like enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think using like knowing that pattern and then making that work for you also is really important. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'll fit one more thing in here. Um, I work with couples. Emotional unavailability is a huge problem um, mm -hmm. in the beginning, especially at the very beginning. Um, often partners are like super attuned to one another and they give each other the best version of their emotional availability. And then they're together for a while and maybe they go back to their normal pattern or maybe they just get distracted by other things and don't have that bandwidth or maybe they really get hurt and then they pull that back. And mm -hmm. that's when couples feel disconnected, they feel hurt, they feel disappointed. And that's when relationship crises are much you're much more likely to have a relationship crisis then. Mm. Yeah, I see that in the couples I work with too. I mean, I don't work with the couples, but the, the whatever party showing up to work with me will often report something like this. Um, if, if they've been together for a while, um, they start noticing that perhaps there's just not as much effort or responsiveness. I mean, like maybe because they're just gotten into routine. I often hear the woman complaining about this more than the man, like, um, I don't know what that's about, but anyway, you know, they don't feel as heard or as, um, listened to and, and perhaps, you know, it just doesn't seem as new and exciting. But, um, I also noticed that that's some of that's normal, you know, to get into a routine that it's not as new as and exciting. And, and it doesn't mean your relationship is doomed because, because now there isn't as much responsiveness with your, you know, emotional depth perhaps at that point, but it can be revived. I mean, I don't think this is a lost cause, but what concerns me is when that is showing up right in the beginning of a dating relationship. It concerns me that if you're seeing someone and you're already not experiencing um, a connection on that level, uh, um, then it's sort of a red flag for me. Like what, I mean, the beginning of the stages of a relationship should feel honeymoonish and, and really lovely. And, and you should be seeing a desire on both sides to really get to know each other and listen and provide feedback. But too often I, I notice couples will or will stay hoping that that changes. Um, and, and then it, it just doesn't like it wasn't there to begin with. And, and that's concerning. And not understanding that maybe they have a mismatch in how they show that emotional availability. And that if that's based in your personality, that's not really going to change. Mm hmm. Yes. Yes. It can be a mismatch. Um, absolutely. And it could be that maybe they just simply don't have the skills and, and they're entering into the dating world, not knowing how to give that validation, which I find to be, I mean, no one taught us how to, how to properly validate other people's feelings. I mean, I learned this as a counselor, it was part of our skills training, but then I feel like sometimes I have unrealistic expectations of how other people ought to show up, but that's part of what I do with clients is like, I teach them how to speak up for their needs. I teach them how to respond when someone else is asking for their needs to be met. Like, you know, it is learned. Um, it's not innate necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, 
right there. It's it's a skill that can be learned. Um, so how do you differentiate, Marlena, between, uh, as I was listening, you're, you're going into this dating relationship, things are not firing. How do you decide, is this, do we pull the ripcord and, and get rid of this thing versus what's salvageable, what's fixable, it, especially, I think, for you early on in the relationship, and then Sherry, probably for you as we move on through that. Well, I've, I've read research that says that we we sort of make an impression on, we we understand whether or not we like someone within like minutes. And I heard it also takes about seven minutes for us to know whether or not this conversation is worth staying in. So like we as humans actually make pretty quick decisions on whether or not this is uh, viable. So I almost want to say like, it's almost like you you know on the first date whether or not this is this should ought to be continued. I think sometimes we stay out of loneliness or desperation or they look good on paper, even if it's not matching. And so our I think our bodies are really good indicators of whether or not we we're into someone. You know, do we feel expansive? Do we fill it up? I know and, and I feel like I'm I'm veering a little away from the emotion of availability, but usually like still our bodies tell us whether or not this person's a match for us if it's working. Mm-hmm. And we need to be really attuned to like, what is our body signal saying about this, this person? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and that availability is a big piece of that, because if this is somebody mm-hmm. who's not, then, you know, do we, again, do we keep pushing at this door or do we just recognize like this person is not going to, not going to be available. And I mm-hmm. owning our own stuff, I think, and respecting ourselves enough to, to, leave. to walk and find, find that match, you know, or create yeah. And if you keep running into the same pattern over and over, that's a good indication that you probably need to visit with either a coach or a therapist, mm-hmm. because if you keep saying, well, it's just, I, I can't seem to connect with anyone, or it, it just never seems to go to the second date, or it never goes further. Like that's a really good indication. Okay. What is it? How, how am I showing up mm-hmm. and having someone work with you on that skill? So that becomes less and less of a pattern and we start to break it. Reminds me, I have a lawyer friend who he refers to that as the broken finger theory of the universe. And <laughs> man, man goes to a doctor and the doctor, it hurts when I put, you know, when I touch here, it hurts when I touch here, it hurts when I touch here. And the doctor says, it's because your finger's broken. Forever, I probably owe him some royalties for that one as many times as, I, as I've told it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but that's, uh, again, that's early on. And I like that idea that it's fixable. It's something that we can address. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, you, you dealt really with the fact that, Hey, this is a skill-based thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not innate. Yeah. So. And you know, I've, I've been in groups where we teach people the, these validation skills and people are really surprised to learn that the way they've been responding, even to their friends is not actually uh, validating or mm-hmm. it doesn't actually create depth or intimacy because people are lonely, not just in their romantic lives, but lonely in their friendship mm-hmm. because there isn't it's, and it's things like one-upmanship that we think is um, somehow adding to the conversation, but doesn't, for example, Matthew, if you were to tell me you went on vacation to Thailand and how yeah. great it was and be like, oh, well, that's nothing. That's- I went to Africa and you have no, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, we're not actually connecting with you at that point. I'm not connecting with you. Right. If I'm asking, well, tell me more about Thailand. Like, it sounds like you were really excited. Now that is a validating comment to say, you know, showing up, I'm showing up for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I am participating, but so much, I think is because we ourselves feel starved. We don't actually know, like we need attention too. And it's like, no, 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 like pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really normal. But I think, um, you know, we got to get give to get, you know, the more I can like be present for you, you know, the more you can maybe be present for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, That's this awesome. is the phenomenon of um, people who are really good at this. Like you can go into a social setting and ask one question and, you know, 30, 60, 90 minutes later, you have heard their whole life story. <laughs> oh, yeah. And oh, they haven't asked or haven't yes. shown much interest. And mm -hmm. it's that starving part, but it's also their skills of like, well, where where do I turn the table so that you also have some some time to talk about what's going on for you? Mm -hmm. I would love to hear from the two of you. I mean, because we've all been there, especially as therapists and, and, and coaches. Like I get people's life stories on the plane, like yes. anywhere. I almost dread telling people what I do because I know I'm going to be sucked into, sometimes sucked into a conversation um, and, and, they and they know nothing, nothing about me. And it does, it feels empty. On the one hand, that's fine. I don't need the stranger to validate me. Um, however, on the other hand, how, and have you, either of you, how have you dealt with those situations? And like, what would you do if, you know, even for our audience, like, what would you do when you're, you're the one giving, 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 but there is no receiving? This is a really hard question. And I'll tell you, I don't even have to tell people what my profession is. Like there must be something about the way that I'm present with people. I'll be standing in the grocery store line and people will be like telling me these stories. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I I really shouldn't know that. Like <laughs> maybe you should be telling someone else that. Um, so I, I know for me, I often gravitate towards the people who show that kind of support and empathy for me. And I kind of have to know where that boundary is with people who don't have a sense of that. Mm -hmm. um, and while I don't mind being helpful, I also have to like put an end to that and keep some of those boundaries and walls so that I don't get depleted by situations that are supposed to be mutual and both of us getting something from it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I cheat my way through this a lot. Um, so earbuds have become my best friend um, and I hate saying it. And so I, there are times that I do make myself emotionally unavailable um, because things like that, it is, and this sounds very calloused, but when you spend, you know, 10, 10 hours a day, eight, 10 hours listening to people and, and hearing their stories, you really have to manage your reserves um mm -hmm. you know and and I, I i think of it a lot of times as prioritizing um i really want to be present with my family with my clients and then the the, the stranger in the grocery store is they're, they're wonderful as a human being but it's mm -hmm. not my highest priority so i do a lot of times manage through you know trying to manage the sensory input have the earbuds in um you know, or, or something of that sort. And if I don't have it, if I do have it, then I'm always happy to, I'm yeah. always happy to share, you know, I was like, Hey, let's, yeah. let's talk. Um, so, mm -hmm. because I think Marlene, you called it, I think there's a lot of people who are very, they're very lonely and, you know, they, they gravitate towards somebody and Sherry, we, a lot of times just have that presence as therapists. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Marlena, so. do you have any tips? What's well, I've, um, I've had friends who have actually made boundaries with people who were, who were basically taking too much of their time and attention and, and something that I've learned actually from uh, friends. And I think I've practiced this myself, but basically saying like, I only have 20 minutes to give right now, you know, putting some time limits on it instead mm -hmm. of trying to teach them like necessarily, Hey, 
actually, I actually, now that I'm thinking about this, I actually have done this with someone saying, you know, I noticed that we spend a lot of time on you, but like, I could really use you to listen to me. Um, and just asking for it, being mm-hmm. like, I'm actually trying not, I'm not trying. Cause there's some relationships I don't want to end. I want them to be there and get better. And if I don't speak up and say, Hey, this feels really one-sided, like I, it's not, um, a dismissive dismissal of the other person. And I think it's important to remember that when we ask for our needs, we're actually trying to deepen the relationship, not end it. So mm-hmm. I've actually have, I had to ask people um, in my life in the past, Hey, I, I'm sorry. I've played because I, I took my own, my part. Like I played a part in this dynamic of letting it go on like this. And for us to have a better relationship, I need to be able to have some take up space emotionally too. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. I think um, maybe a little bit sideways on this is that I, if I look at the bigger picture of things, it's always important for me to remember the other strengths that people bring to that relationship. So Mm -hmm. maybe there are friends who are really good at the emotional availability and support while other friends, I would still keep them because they have other things, maybe fun or they have great stories or, you know, they show up when I'm in, I have a crisis. Um, So being emotionally available is amazing, but there's so many other things too. I love that. Well, those are also, I think, um, kind of maybe Matthew can speak to this, like, um, alternative ways to be available, you know, like maybe that is a form of their emotional availability, even if it doesn't look like perhaps, um, responsiveness in the way I've described it. Mm-hmm. So I really like that, you know, maybe their availability is in like providing you a good story making you laugh, entertaining you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea of trying to find those alternate alternate ways too. Um, I've always joked around as an introvert and a, a raging introvert at that. I always say we need to be adopted by a good extroverted person that will, <laughs> I love that that. will push yeah. us out of this. Um, <laughs> the other thing, other thing that jumped to mind is I have a, a cat who will, uh, for some reason, it's only at night, uh, but she will bring up socks from the basement, like literally all through the night. She will bring it up, drop it next to the bed, chirp, um, you know, and the other night it was 11 socks we counted. Um, wow. so, uh, and like on one hand, it's really annoying because then we have to take everything and send it all back downstairs. But I'm like, you know what? She loves us for whatever reason. She's deciding that this is her love language. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of times I think it is, it's processing that, Hey, this person's bringing me socks because they love me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it is seeing that and, and a Marlena, what you said, I love that bravery of like, let, let's ask for our needs to be met and see if there's not something we can switch around or, mm-hmm. or even just translate in our brain that yeah, this is what this means. You know, yeah, Marlena, you said early on um, that you hear women complaining about people not being emotionally available more. And I, I immediately went to, well, men also feel like people aren't emotionally available for them. And we, we have this kind of ideal of what it means to be emotionally available. It's sit with me, make eye contact with me, ask questions, say supportive things. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other ways of being emotionally mm-hmm. available, like showing up or doing taking something off their plate or even seeing that they're tired and giving them time or space not necessarily with you supporting them, but they get Mm -hmm. time and space outside. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that when you think about men and how they feel like others are emotionally unavailable, there are these other ways. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love the, I'm, I'm sorry if you can hear a cat meowing in the background. Uh, it's not my cat this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being emotionally available to my animal at the moment. Yes. Um, choosing not to. Um, so I was just thinking when you were talking, Cherry, like one of the things I love, uh, one way that I love that it's shown and not said is just through physical touch in some way. And humor is a really big one for me. I remember when I used to get upset, my partner would literally pick me up and like turn me upside down and shake me and he'd be like, we're shaking it out, shaking out the bad stuff. And I just, <laughs> you know, and I just loved it. Like sometimes I didn't need him to respond or like say, I just, that was enough. And then I would get, you know, I felt tended to. Yeah. So when I work with couples and they feel disconnected or um, they're feeling lonely, that's one of the things is like, what, what do we need to change here? How do we fix this? And recognizing not only what you need, but also what the other person is trying to give you. And then trying to, trying to move that forward in a, in kind of a problem solving sort of way of like, let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of times I will, when I'm talking with my clients and my couples, sometimes it's the individuals, but I always refer to it as the three L's. Uh, when we're looking for emotional availability, uh, because we either want somebody to listen to us, uh, to help us look for a solution, or to leave us alone. Um, and sometimes I'll even alter that last one for leave us alone for a little bit. Um, you know, and those forever. are, all, what's that? And said, not forever. Not forever. <laughs> not right? forever. Exactly. Right. And and I'm, especially in the neurodivergency side of things, um, because we tend to flood a lot. Um, and things get things get very jumbled in our heads if we're not careful. Um, whether you know, sometimes it's if you're highly sensitive and there's just too many emotions, or it's been too long of a day, or or I just don't have the spoons to to do this. Um, sometimes it's that ability just to process and say, "Hey, I need to be alone for a little bit." Um, and I was when back in the dark ages when I left my basement and uh, worked outside of the house. Uh, a lot of times I would just park around the corner um, and just take a few minutes just to just to decompress so that I could be emotionally available when I got when I got home um, because mm. those things are needed. And, and sometimes it's going back to the three L's. It's important to say, this is what I need. This is how you can show love right now. Right. Mm. Or from the, the standpoint of the other person, a lot of times it's going to be asked, hey, what what do you need? Do you need me to fix this? Do you need me to help you? And I always say, help you look for a solution because we don't want to fix it for the other person, but we want to help mm -hmm. them fix it. Mm -hmm. um, or do you just need me to listen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. As a highly sensitive person, I really resonate with the like, do I need to be left alone? I need, mm -hmm. I need tremendous alone time mm -hmm. to recharge. Um, and, I, and I don't really consider myself necessarily an introvert, kind of an ambivert, but still I need that alone time to recharge and either to be present for you, but sometimes for you to even be present for me, because then I can mm -hmm. feel a little salty if I feel mm -hmm. like I haven't gotten it and you're trying to help. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop helping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I just wanted to add one more little thing, like a way I, I show emotional availability is often by cooking food for people mm -hmm. and and, and partaking in a meal, even if we're not speaking, just being present with eating and like mm -hmm. nurturing in the way of giving food um, is a big one for me. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I think that when I think about couples, um, it's really important that communication about either what you need or offering what they need, because a lot of times when someone pulls back, 
they're doing something that's good for them, but their partner doesn't know what's going on. So they start making up all of these reasons in their mind, whether they're blaming themselves or the situation or the other person. And it's so much easier just to say, hey, I'm overwhelmed. I need a few minutes or I'm feeling I'm just too much. Can you give me a hug? And that just clears up so much of that there's miscommunications. I love that, Sherry. It's like, I fill in the blanks when you're not telling me what's going on. Mm -hmm. And usually the the way I fill in the blanks is pretty catastrophic or like somehow I'm making it about me when it's not, you know, I love that little acronym or the little cliche saying they say in a 12-step room, it's Q-tip, you know, quit taking it personally. Mm -hmm. Like you're doing something and it's usually not at me or because of me. Sometimes, sometimes it is, but sometimes, yeah, a lot of times it's not. It's such human nature to fill in the gap. We Mm -hmm. just really, if there is not enough information, we will just fill in the rest of the story. Oh, yeah. We don't like the the story with no explanation, interpretation, or ending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is human nature to fill in the story. The the text messages, I always say, are that that's the telling bit because, you know, if you send somebody an okay message, you know, they'll interpret it 20 different ways. Oh, you were angry with me. Like, what What angry? I just said, okay. You know, like, <laughs> well, you had an exclamation mark after it, you know? And, and like, right. yeah, we do. We, we I love the Q-tip, right? We like, let's not take it personally, but mm-hmm. be able to communicate through that. It mm-hmm. isn't just the okay or the quick response. It's also the silence mm-hmm. and how long it takes a person to respond. And all of their stories in about it was 15 mm-hmm. minutes or it was four hours or it was two days. And mm-hmm. there's a whole story that people make up in that silence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I have a really a good friend and we keep in touch almost, I want to say almost daily, but it's probably every few days. It's more, more like it's some, some weeks it's daily. And, you know, I don't think because I'm so close to her, I don't think one thing, I don't think anything is wrong if she goes a couple of days without responding to a text, but because I have such trust in that relationship, like I just lean on them. I'm like, she'll get back to me when she can. And it, but you know, when I was younger, I think I'd have a lot of anxiety around these gaps of silence, especially if coming from a good friend. But now I realize like the foundation is there. There's nothing, there's no reason to worry. And I try to remind people of that clients too, when they start filling in the gaps, like, well, what is your relationship? You know, like, can, can you trust that the relationship is strong enough that this will come back around? Like, can you just relax and, and not make it so urgent? Usually if it's urgent, it's not. I tell them if you're feeling urgent around something, it's not urgent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that narrative. And the, the thing that speaks to me right now is that the mom narrative, if you don't text mom back right away, you're currently dead on the side of the road somewhere, <laughs> you know, and she's, she's calling in the, you know, everybody available, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know. I see my daughters do this they're teenagers and this interpretation of it. But I also hear this from couples all the time. Um, One will think that responding within a few hours is completely appropriate given what they're doing during the the day. And it won't sit well with them when their partner Mm -hmm. is like, you don't respond to me. Mm -hmm. And so you got to kind of break that down and understand what each person's expectations and needs are in that situation. Mm-hmm. I think talking about those expectations and not being afraid to speak up when you're feeling angsty over it. I mean, that is so helpful. Um, absolutely. And and some of it just comes with maturity and time and relationships, like understanding that when they're in, on their work day, like for me, like counseling or coaching, I cannot respond to text messages during those times. There might be like five hours where I say nothing to no one because I am in session. Mm-hmm. Like it's not because I'm rebuffing them. 
you know. Yeah. Well, and I often will try to, uh, I have kids, so I try to pick up those texts in between sessions mm -hmm. and it's gotten me into trouble a few times because I've gotten things that I couldn't handle in between sessions or I've sent stuff out and just sent out one or two lines and then the other person had a reaction and I didn't know I was sitting in the next therapy session coaching session doing that that work that requires my 100 percent uh focus and mm -hmm. all this stuff was going on in text mm -hmm. yep. yeah I kind of wanted to go back to what do we do and, and how would we you know giving tips to people like when their partners or whomever in their life actually says I'm actually not available for this and I don't want to deal with it. I've actually um, spoken to people who've had partners or people they were dating saying they would come crying about something and the partner's like, I'm out and just leave. And like, what do we say to those situations? Not just saying I'm out and just leave. It's also the like blank face <clears throat> or getting mad at you so that they shut it down so mm -hmm. that you, they don't, they're, they don't have to respond. Yeah. They don't have to be responsible to it. Right. Yeah. All right. So in the couples that I see, um, that's, that's common. Um, mm -hmm. Gottman has a formula where um, responding to your spouse, it's like the formula goes something like if you and your partner are focused and attuned to each other, half the time when you're together, then you have a one in four chance of actually picking up on what they are saying and need and being mm -hmm. attuned to it. But I think about myself when I'm at home with my husband, 50% would be a big stretch. <laughs> it's probably like 10% of the mm -hmm. time I'm really tracking and listening and thinking about him. So it's really easy to miss those cues from one another and so verbalizing that you need it, but then also recognizing that you can't just drop in on your partner and expect them to be available right now. Mm. They may need some time to like finish up what they're doing or get their head in the right headspace or come back to you to give you that support and mm. be there for you. Now, if they're never there for you, that says something big and problematic about the relationship, but being open to this idea that it's not just a light switch that you flip up and your partner is just going to be there. I love that. That provides mm -hmm. such grace in the relationship for us to not be perfect all the time and immediately available when our partner needs us. Um, mm -hmm. And I agree with you. If, if this is a consistent thing or it happens, especially in the really big moments, like perhaps this is not a fit. And maybe um, that partner needs to do some of their own work in order to learn the skills of how to be there if they want to, if they want to, you know, it's, it's really, you can learn them if you want to, but you can also carry on and not learn them at all. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. This is important though, because we're talking about being emotionally available or unavailable with a partner or with a friend, but what about the being emotionally available for yourself? And being mm. able to manage those feelings, especially when other people are not available. Oh, that's such a good topic, Sherry. I mean, like, I think to our ability to be available for others real is really dependent on our ability to be available to ourselves. Like, um, 
I'll just share really quick. Back in the day, I had a therapist who said, why don't you ever cry? And she, <laughs> she's like, you never cry. And I was totally absent to my own feelings. I really was. So I probably, I was not, I knew that I was not fit for partnership at that time. Um, because I had a lot of inter- other stuff going on that I needed to work through and work on because I, a part of me was afraid that if I let, let my tears fall, they'd never stop. I was almost afraid of my emotions, which ended up making me emotionally unavailable, of course. But once I realized my emotions weren't going to kill me, that started to change, you know? All right. Yeah. And that's probably a topic we need to have another show on because (laughs) we could probably talk about managing your emotions and what to do with those when they, they feel too big. Mm -hmm. We could probably talk Mm -hmm. about that for days. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Maybe too much for this one. But anyway, Matthew, you were going to say something. No, it reminds me of Inside Out was what I was thinking. Like when, you know, Joy is trying to get sadness out of the room, like, you Mm. know, like shut her down, doesn't want her to have any, any, any availability there. And then, you know, the whole journey is trying to let sadness have its voice. So, but I like that, you know. That's a great example. And that idea of like, we have to be available to ourselves. We have to recognize that we've got all these feelings going on up here and. Mm-hmm. You know, some, sometimes there are a lot, sometimes they're, they're managed, but mm-hmm. being able to communicate through it, maybe is really what I heard from both of you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like stuffing a, like a beach ball under the water and like trying to be like, no, I'm not going to, you know, just <laughs> trying to keep it down, but eventually it's going to like come up. I mean, like mm-hmm. our, if our emotions aren't dealt with, they come out and usually they come out sideways and then cause a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And I, I noticed that when I attend to my own feelings, regardless of whether or not you're available to me, I feel a whole lot less abandoned if I've been able to tend to my own sadness or my grief or my anger. Um, and I don't become so needy. Like then I can also recognize when you're not giving it to me, that's not a reflection of me. That's a reflection of where you are. Mm-hmm. So, and, and being able to choose, like not going to the hardware store for bread, you know, going to the people I know they're going to give me milk and eggs and not, you know, um, and, and be kind. Um, I'm more discerning too of people when I'm able to tend to my own feelings, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It reminded me of something I tell clients all the time is if your partner's coming to you and asking for that emotional availability in whatever form that is, and you are asking them to hold off, you're asking them to hold it for a little while. Like that's a really hard thing to do. And so you don't want them to hold that for too long because they won't be able to. So mm-hmm. when you push that off, like that's okay. You can, there's good reasons to do that. But also like being aware that if you don't get back to that, really you're setting yourself up for that to explode. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And explode again, dealing with the neurodivergent side, explode doesn't always look like that. Sometimes it can be, this is where we shut off and we find that we're not, we are not connected in at all. And mm-hmm. and at some point you've recognized like this relationship is, you know, like we, we, I talked to a lot of people, like we don't know when it ended, right? We just recognize that all of a sudden we are not there for each other. Um, and they try to fight back to the cause. And a lot of times it is this, you know, we, we put the person on pause and we forgot to come back to it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and everything just sat and spun and we did our own thing. And now we're not putting the time and effort into that relationship anymore. So it, the relationship isn't growing, it's dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all yeah. fixable. Like we said. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is. Yeah. So, and it, maybe it, it, I think we're kind of hitting the time point here. So when we're talking about fixable, Marlene, what's what's your take home? What you know, as you kind of put everything together here. 
Well, my take home is um, learn to be available to yourself first. Not only will that help you be available to others, but you'll feel less abandoned, like I said, when you learn how to tend to your own feelings and give them their voice and their space. Because too, once you let the feelings come, like they will pass even even quicker. But um, I think like that's how we learn how to be how to give compassion and how to be um, how to self soothe and just be more present for our partners. And I think a good therapist can help us do that. A good coach can help us do that. But sometimes we have friends who are just really good at this already, and mm -hmm. so like you know, using them as a role model can be helpful too. Yeah. But remembering not to suck that away from them and give that back to them as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great reminder. So, but what about you, Sherry? What's your take home from our, our talk today? Um, In the work that I do with couples, I think that it's the idea of being, um, being gentle with yourself and your partner and to understand that when you're in a long-term relationship, you're playing the long game. And there may be times when you don't have the bandwidth for a while or your partner doesn't. And that that coming back, like there's supposed to be a flow to this. It isn't mm -hmm. deciding whether it's good based on one situation. It's looking at that bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. I like that idea of playing the long game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think, uh, especially dealing with the populations that I deal with, it's always about finding alternatives, uh, ways of communicating, alternative ways to really honor ourselves, um, you know, and it goes back to sometimes that look, listen, leave alone, um, finding alternative ways to communicate. Um, and I think you both said it of, you know, sometimes I love you and I'm here for you looks like you know, I'm making dinner um, or I'm going to do a load of laundry, which reminds me, I probably need to do that here. <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, I, I, some, I call it the 80s mixtape and we don't have words for our own. You know, we we go and for those of us who are of that generation, right, we press play and record together and hope we get the right song. And, you know, but we're when we don't have the words, sometimes borrowing those from other things can can be super effective just mm -hmm. to help communicate it. Mm. Yeah. what a rich discussion i've so so enjoyed this with both of you today thank yeah, you me too. thank you both that's uh it's definitely awesome it's great to be surrounded by encouraging coaches uh you know internally as well as externally i know you you both absolutely love your your populations and what you do so um so where the plan right now is to put out these on a weekly basis and people who are listening are always welcome and encouraged to email send us your questions. We would love the idea of responding to our listeners and making sure that, you know, we, we are emotionally available for them. Uh, <laughs> and the only way we know that is if you communicate. So, um, so um, just real quick, how do people find, uh, we've got this routine here. So Marlena, how do people find you and connect with you? You can just go to coachmarlena.com and you'll find information there and um, you can get some free guides that I have about helping stop loneliness in your life and desperation, as well as how to attract and love. And um, you can find that in the description to below the video today. And just a reminder to everybody to like, share, and subscribe if you found this useful. And Sherry? Uh, you can find me at my website at sherrytimco.com. And I also have some free materials on how to really deeply connect with your partner so that that relationship feels secure and connected. Awesome. Very cool. I'm at misfitrefuge.com uh, and on all the various socials. Uh, and I currently have a guide out uh, that works on the three traps that we run into as misfits and how to really 
uh, quash those so that we can live our authentic divine purpose. Yeah. Thank you everybody for listening and we hope you have a great week.